Welcome to a new episode of the Big Idea Big Moves podcast. The new the voice new of voice success. success. We all want to feel successful and fulfilled in our lives, but that can be a bumpy road. Through the experiences, journeys and advice of our guests here on Big Idea Big Moves, we will help you get a jump start on experiencing and cultivating whole life success. Be ready to take notes. Every episode has action items that you can apply to your own life right away. Okay, let's get this started. I will now pass you over to the host of Big Idea Big Moves, Jamie Allison. Hi again, everybody. I'm Jamie Allison, and this is the Big Idea Big Moves podcast. This is the destination for high performers. We talk to people from different genres, different niches, just people doing really cool things in their space that we can find out a little bit about their journey and some of the things that they're doing, and hopefully translate some of those to our own lives as well. So we talk to athletes, we talk to CEOs, entrepreneurs, just people doing really cool things in their space, and hopefully uh, uh, learn a bit along, uh, along the way as well. And, and so just before we jump into today's uh, interview. Um, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that Epitome Sportswear has a connection with us. And, and uh, the reason, if you haven't heard that, is that it's such a, a good connection with us is that it's it's not just performance gear, it's gear for your full life, um, which you know that we talk a lot about kind of whole life success here. And so um, their whole kind of outline is live life fully. Um, but the other thing that really aligns well with us as well is that it's important for them to give back to the community they serve. And so they are working to impact the inequities in opportunity for girls and women in sport. Um, and for that reason, a portion of their profits um, go directly to organizations and initiatives that support girls in sport. So really cool from that end as well. Um, you can find out more about them if you um, go directly to Epitome Sportswear. So it's E-P-I-T-O-M-E sportswear.com. Or you can go into our uh, Instagram or Facebook bios and take a look through there. I think there's a, uh, a 20% off uh, code as well. So feel free to go in there and take a look at it and, and take advantage of it and also uh, give back to um, some of those great initiatives as well. Uh, and so today, really happy uh, to have uh, Leslie Patterson with us today. Um, Leslie is a, she's a triathlon coach and herself a multi-time world champion across Xterra and ITU Cross Triathlon. Um, she's the author of The Brave Athlete and co-owner of Braveheart Coaching. Um, so really cool kind of mesh there as well. And in addition to her triathlon career, she works in the film industry as well as a screenwriter and producer. So um, some really eclectic things happening there but um, thanks for taking the time Leslie I'm sure things are pretty busy but again thanks for taking the time with us today it's a pleasure I always uh, enjoy hopping on these podcasts and you know giving my two cents worth and giving a wee bit of advice here and there about the ups and downs along the way yeah, well, and, and I think that's a good place to start, because I think a lot of people probably think that, um, you know, when you're really successful in a specific sport, that it often can be a, a linear path to getting there. But I, I know you had a, a bit of a different way of getting there. So why don't you just um, kind of tell us a little bit about your journey to, to where you are today, and, and we'll, we'll start there. Absolutely, absolutely. One of the biggest things I've learned is definitely it is not linear. Mm -hmm. uh, but in order to be the best at anything, uh, the whole point is to fail again and again and again, learn from it and grow, right? But we can chat about that later. Um, yeah. yeah, so I started off my uh, athletic career very young. I was a rugby player. Um, mm -hmm. I played in an all boys team in Scotland growing up, which was pretty wild. I was the only girl out of 250 boys. 
And oh, in wow. fact, yeah, only girl in the whole of Scotland uh, that was playing rugby at the time, bearing in mind this was kind of the 80s. And um, yeah, I think that just set up that resiliency, right? I did not have my uh, own shower room. I washed in a bathroom. It was cold. It was muddy. Boys were laughing and pointing. And But something inside me just drove me on. And when I was no longer um, allowed to play with the boys, there was no girls team. So my dad had to find a sport that was equally challenging. Um, and he was in triathlon at the time. So he kind of threw me into that and I excelled pretty quickly and just loved the combination of the three different sports. So it, it, everything was a challenge. Um, yeah. I love the way my body moved through swimming, biking, running. It just felt, you know, I'm, I'm actually from a dancing background as well. So it felt quite my kinesthetic sense of each sport was, was really challenged. Um, and so, um, yeah, I got pretty good, pretty quick and got in the national teams, Scottish team, and then the British team. Yeah. And to be honest, I'd always dreamed of going to the Olympics. That was, I remember watching the Olympics when I was very young and imagining it and thinking about it. And it was just a huge part of my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, got in these national teams. But at the time, there was that real intersection between sports science and performance. It was when the, the huge big sports science shift was coming in the 90s. And I found myself at loggerheads with a lot of the coaches because they were very numbers driven. And I'm a a sort of Scottish heart, you know, (laughs) scrappy athlete. And, you know, think of me playing rugby with the boys. Right. And so the numbers didn't always correlate with what I felt I was capable of. So on the one hand, I was being told I was not good enough and didn't have the potential. And on the other hand, I had this internal fire that, that, you know, I didn't really know what to do with. And at that age, you you know, you you can't really understand it. And so Mm -hmm. um, I got to about 20 and just was not doing, it was not making it, was not going well. And um, retired from the sport and moved to California with my husband who got a job out there, which was just perfect, a chance to kind of reinvent myself. And to be honest, I'd I'd spent, you know, up till the, you know, 21 years of age, being an athlete is my identity and then being a failure. So I just, I needed to come out and be someone else. And I'd studied my undergraduate in drama and theater and then did my master's degree in California in theater and film. And that was just a wonderful chance to rediscover myself emotionally Uh, get in touch with who I am as a person. And this really led to uh, my path into Xterra um, because Xterra, for those of you guys that don't know that, it's off-road triathlons. So it's Mm -hmm. swimming, mountain biking, and trail running. So it's effectively rugby plus triathlon equals Xterra. So it was just absolutely perfect. And I think I came to the sport a second time knowing who I was and how I operated mentally and physically, because when you go down the path of working with national governing bodies, there's a philosophy that they follow. And if you don't fit into it, then that's it, you're out. And at a young age, of course, you just think, well, I'm just not good enough. Right. But there's as we as Simon, my husband, who's a sport top sports psychologist, and I like to say the way to the top is not a ladder, it's a cargo net. Um, there's many, many, many different ways. 
So um, I then kind of set about, uh, you know, working with some different coaches and really understanding and learning different philosophies out there mentally and physically. And then also working with my husband, uh, who is a sports psychologist and kind of coming to the table with the things I'd learn actually in acting uh, and, you know, in the world of film and theater and performance. Uh, and then together with my training and um, he just really helped me understand the science behind how the brain works and the neuroscience of it all. Um, and so when I started to get success and win my first world title, uh, we ended up writing a book together, as you mentioned earlier, called yeah. The Book of Athlete. And that was really a culmination of him having been an academic psychologist, sports psychologist, to then experiencing what it was like to live with a professional athlete, which completely upended his textbook learning. And together we, we wrote this book, uh, which essentially breaks down a brain mental model of how your brain works, the thoughts and feelings uh, we have that we don't want or that challenge us. And then lots of aspects of um, being an athlete that we're challenged with, whether it's athletic identity, confidence uh, body image issues motivation all of these things and um yeah we've gone on to to sell about 20,000 copies of that which has yeah. been which has been great but the journey um from winning that first world well even getting to the place where I, where I won that first world title to right. onwards in my career I dealt with a lot of injuries a lot of health issues chronic Lyme disease yeah, I was going to say that's one thing that a lot of people may or may not know that Lyme disease is something that you've had to to deal with, and and even to think that you have been able to progress and and continue being at that level, um, you you must have had to do a fair amount of kind of re re looking at yourself and how you how you yep. train and all of those things as well. Yep. Was what was that like to go through? Awful. Um, yeah. at the same time empowering right because mm -hmm. when you're faced with adversity your brain actually adapts it changes it goes stronger there's mm -hmm. parts of our brain that rewire as a consequence yeah uh, my level of gratitude for the sport changed because mm -hmm. i think when you reach excellence um you all you're thinking about is maintaining that excellence and proving yourself again and again and you for you lose sight of your why am I doing this why is it important so I think when it's the rug is pulled from under you which it literally was I went from being the best in the world to not being able to get out of bed and uh yeah so I I I call it my investigative hell hustle it's where I'll stop at nothing to figure out what's going on how can I fix it? You know, what are the many different philosophies and solutions out there? And I just dig and dig and dig, and I'm not going to have anyone tell me that I can't do it. Um, and so I worked with a myriad of different functional medicine doctors getting to the root cause because Lyme disease comes with many other things that happen in your body and mm -hmm. often people will have Lyme disease and it's not an issue for them uh, because they're healthy otherwise and their body can fight it off of their immune system but if you have other triggers going on in your system whether that's your gut whether that's toxicities being an endurance athlete and just kind of overdoing it mm -hmm. um, so just learning how the body works as a system um, not only did it has it helped me through my health journey, it's helped me with my athletes that I coach. It's helped yeah. me progress. And I think the biggest thing is just being flexibility, saying, okay, what can I do today? Staying in the moment and building positivity around those moments. You've mentioned that that kind of the impact of having a positive kind of mindset or or kind of looking at it that way, and that's a 
perfect example, but I also wonder um, early on when you decided that, you know, okay, this maybe isn't the right thing for me when you had that um, kind of idea you were going to go to the Olympics and, and um, how, mu how much impact did that have on you that maybe it was, you know, you were uh, either you or your coaching was, was maybe from a negative standpoint, because then it was just about, no, you're not making it. You're not doing what you're uh, like, uh, how much of an impact did that have on you and how much of an impact has it had on you the opposite way since then? It had a huge impact because I think when you feel like you're a failure, it's easy to kind of get that chip in your shoulder um, to think that nothing is really possible. Um, and especially coming from a Scottish cultural background where mm -hmm. there's a lot of negativity, that yeah. Calvinistic approach to life. Um, I think moving to California really changed that for me because it's a land of opportunity. And truly, you know, people value having a go. Yeah. Uh, in Scotland they don't oh why even bother if you're going to fail why even bother right so I think moving to California also having a very supportive husband and unconditional love to know that you can fail yeah. um, and then focusing on the why you know the, the the joy of of what it is I love to do you know I I, I gave up in the sport because of my outcomes not satisfying what I believed I was capable of instead of focusing on, well, why did I even do this in the first place? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it really makes you reassess all of those things. And, and it is ever changing, right. You know, day to day and month to month and year to year. Yeah. Now, have you seen, because you coach people and uh, coming from that mindset now, yep. um, has that been, um, have you seen lots of that happen with the people that you coach? And, and maybe I'll just ask, is that, because I'm sure you get a lot of intrinsic motivation just from what you do, but, but do you find you get a lot of that motivation from seeing it in other people now, now that you do a lot of coaching? Yeah, absolutely. And it's wonderful to see athletes really assess themselves or reassess themselves and grow and learn and see what, what they're capable of and really mm -hmm. drilling down onto the main reasons as to why they're doing what they're doing. Because I think nowadays, especially with things like social media, that con continuous comparison, mm -hmm. I'm up short I'm coming up short what we notice with a lot of our athletes is they come to the table with incredible low self-confidence or low self-worth because of that and so just focusing on all of those I call it process goals focusing on those elements are what's going to build success whatever you deem that to be because yeah. uh, mastery of, of the craft is where the beauty is because if you're focused on the outcome you're only ever going to come up short yeah um yeah well, and, and so going along with that, then how do you, um, you've got a whole bunch of things happening in your life and um, we'll go through a couple of those other things, but, but just how do you, um, how do you balance that when you have, I mean, you have, you have a family, you, you know, you've talked about that. You have um, your own kind of athletic pursuits, you coach, you have a book, you have all of those things. So um, how do you, you know, set yourself up for success from that end yourself? I think I have always done well when I've had more things to do. I don't mm -hmm. do so well when I've got less and everyone's different with that. Yeah. Um, and, I, and interestingly, I was told by quite a lot of coaches, well, you need to focus on one thing if you're going to do it well. Mm. And that's not necessarily true for everybody. And it certainly wasn't for me. I find the stimulation of other areas of my life really shone a light on other areas of my life. Mm. So what I learned from film and creative writing and producing, you know, really transfers across into sport and vice versa. Yeah. Um, and then my husband talks about that fire in the belly. People are sometimes just born with it. 
And I am born with this insatiable ability to handle a lot going on. I just, I just am, you know, Um, but I I have a lot of empathy for people that don't. So a lot of my athletes can't cope with that. And I, sometimes people will come to me asked, asking to be coached by me. And they're like, Oh, am I good enough to be coached by you? Or, you know, some such comment. I'm like, I don't care who you are. I said, I love to get to know people. And I, I like to put myself in other people's shoes and get the best of them, you know, whether that's 30 minutes a day, whether that's, you know, three hours a day, whatever that is. Um, so empathy is a huge piece to that. So I think it's, you know, um, yeah, it's a journey to understand yourself, but it's also opening your eyes to the fact that not everyone thinks and feels the same way that you do. And that's very important as a coach and a lot of coaches don't coach like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and we have seen some change in that recently, but it's still kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, people's approach is very, can be very different. Um, uh, you, you mentioned that you, um, you have real creative pursuits, as well as things that, you know, some people will look at, I mean, sport can be creative, but it can also be, you know, uh, very kind of, you know, time-based and things like that. So from, from your end, do you find, is that a creative outlet for you? Is it just that you've got multiple, um, you know, multiple interests and, and uh, they just happen to maybe be perceived as very different? Yeah, you know, I think they're a lot similar than they are different, mm-hmm. uh, as you mentioned, right? So um, in terms of my sport, I believe I got to the top because of my creativity, mm-hmm. how I would dream up different forms of training different ways to challenge myself yeah. you know I always looked at it as this puzzle and this cool way to how can I stimulate my body in x way but then stimulate my mind in another way and, and do out of the box kind of things whether that you know for example running off the bike is a big thing in triathlon um, and it can be a huge challenge for people to do that effectively so I spent a lot of time doing things like plyometrics off the bike that would bring a about good running form and you know make those muscles scream and hurt and challenge you mentally but in a different way where you didn't have to look at the pace on your watch and say oh my god I'm only running a nine minute mile but yet still get that mental toughness uh, and and yet build about great running form to help you when you could so there's lots of cool creative ways to build a schedule that can challenge depending on where you're at physically and mentally and what it is you need and like uh, you know, and so on. And then on the, sp- on the, on the creative side of stuff, I think when you're an endurance athlete, you spend hours on your own mm-hmm. out there in the wilderness for me anyway, on the trails. And I'm very inspired by nature. And then there's a, a kind of methodic sense to, you know, the pounding, the, 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 the motion of the legs going around on the bike. And it's almost like a form of meditation and you're taken to this kind of other state, this Zen state of being. And often that's where I get a lot of great ideas, yeah. um, you know, which is, which is pretty cool. I'll come up with, yeah, story ideas all the time when I'm out there. Um, you know, and I'll stop, get the phone out, call my husband because we write together and I'll be like, oh my God, I think I figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the other thing that I do now is I actually download films uh, on my phone and I listen to them while I'm working out so that I can, yeah, I can listen to the dialogue and think about the sort of story architecture and how things are coming together. So, um, yeah, it really, it really sort of is, they really help one another massively. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really interesting because um, I think, um, well, even when you talked about how um, 
you become creative, but also how you, uh, you know, at those times where some people find it might be difficult to get past, you know, whatever's happening in your head, if it's a long kind of, if it's a not long ultra style kind of event. Um, I, I've talked to a lot of people that have said that that's when they step back for a second and try to make sure that they appreciate the moment. And oftentimes if they're, they're like you, they're in, beautiful amazing locales and you know that can be their way of escaping the feeling that maybe they want to slow down or stop and and things like that I know I think I think Ryan Atkins if you know Ryan Atkins I'm, I'm sure you do um, he had said that that's something that he does is he realizes he's probably in some of the most beautiful locales when that happens to him and that's his way of getting out of it sometimes and it's interesting that you might do something similar as well yeah and there's so many different techniques to help with that you know in so much as there's different parts parts of our brain that experience different things mm-hmm. and so one part of our brain uh, we can you know by doing things like counting patterns kind of can take us away from the part of the brain that is experiencing the pain or questioning the pain yes yeah. so there's different ways and we kind of talk about this in the book and then various different either podcasts or talks that my husband and I do so for sure I, I'll utilize those techniques but then also just going away as you said in those imaginary worlds um, you know, it can just be a, a wonderful and beautiful thing. You know, some people might have that same reaction you said that, oh, am I good enough to be able to have you coach me, right? Um, but how do you find, like, is it difficult for you to kind of reel back and think this is how I would approach it versus somebody else? Or because you've kind of gone through this whole process and really spent a lot of time writing the book and things like that, that it's it's easier for you to, to, to kind of translate to somebody who may not be in the same mindset or mind space as you and from a coaching end? Yeah, you know, I've coached for about 15 years and I've been an athlete, you know, and triathlete for 30 years. And so I've been around a lot of different people. And I think that um, I'm a very self-aware person. Uh, I've grown up being self-aware. You know, I grew up in a big family. So you're always having to think and feel about other people and where they're at and what they're doing. Um, And that's kind of what I pride myself on. Again, it's just putting myself in other people's shoes and listening, talking getting to know the athletes that I coach. How do they think and feel? What do they like? What they don't like? Understanding their background. And I, I don't think a lot of coaches do that. So it's really coaching the person, not just a data point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important. The data is important, of course, but it's in combination with the person. Uh, and unfortunately, I think certainly in American culture specifically, and even now, uh, you know, in the Western cultures, our ability to listen is very challenged you know uh, and you know hey I I go out with gosh friends of mine and I'll sit there and they will not ask one question about me through an entire two-hour dinner Mm -hmm. and I'll sit there asking them questions listening engaging I'm like what the f has happened to the art of conversation listening engaging thinking connecting so, you know, that's a huge part of, of coaching if you're going to want to help an athlete. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you're right that it is, it is a bit of a, and I don't even want to say it's a lost art. It's actually just kind of interacting with people and engaging at that, you know, is, is generally, you know, being lost in, in many ways, unfortunately. Yeah. So um, you are in two different kind of areas that I would say are, are probably extremely competitive and extremely, um, you know, can yeah. be seen as very difficult. I mean, you know, 
your athletic pursuits, but also, you know, films and filmmaking and all those things can be seen, especially where you are, are very competitive environments, difficult environments. Um, you know, why those two things? And why, um, you know, how do you, how do you think, uh, like, is there one that you find harder than the other, I guess? Gosh, that's a, a great question. So, um, I've always loved storytelling, have loved going to the movies. I've always been inspired by these worlds and the messages and the power of the moving image to impact change. Um, I know that when I watch films that are very powerful, I, I, love, I love films and television that's powerful, that has a message that yeah. is trying to affect change in, in an audience. Um, and so it did to me, and that's what I want to do to other people. And I'm, I'm super passionate about that. Um, now, the difference between the two, um, the hardest thing about film is it's not linear at all. You know, you can put all the work in the world and the results don't come, um, but you have to stay true again to your why um, and also stay true to your craft. So one of the biggest things that my husband and I have done, we've taken a lot of classes. We really work very hard in our writing on the skill on practice and that skill has come from sport you know uh, years and years of learning and growing and thirsty for knowledge and um, having mentors being told when things are not good and facing it and overcoming it facing your fears when there's so many no's and setbacks in Hollywood that I think, again, you just kind of have to have a bit of a thick skin and stay true to your vision, what you're doing, but also listen to people, listen to their feedback, take it on board and critically analyze, are they right? Are they wrong? Is there something there? How can I improve? And um, yeah, I think that that both, I think my sport and the determination and overcoming all of the doubts and what have you in my sport has really has really helped now in Hollywood as, as we progress. And I think we're seeing more, um more success and a lot of people that are you know our experience level just because of that yeah um, and i'll come back to a little story of um the world title that i won first in 2011 yeah. um, i was kind of in prime position coming out of the water and i was the fittest i'd ever been it was like the perfect scenario for me to go out and have a great race and potentially win it and i knew that yeah I came out of the water in pole position. I thought, wow, this is it. And I got onto my bike and I had a flat tire and I could not believe it. I'd never had a flat tire in a race before in my entire career. And I thought, are you kidding me? Who's telling me that something out there is saying I should, you know, was me. And I kind of got that was me. It was never meant to be typical, typical, typical. And then I thought, you know, I'm in bloody Hawaii. I'm as fit as I ever have been fix it get on with it and go as hard as you can and it is yes. what it is at least I won't feel bad about the fact that I've committed everything to it yep. so because there's nothing worse than throwing in the towel that is the worst feeling in the world so I got back on the bike after fixing it loads of people had passed me and I cycled hard and I I think I was maybe in fourth position coming off the bike so I'd made up a lot of ground mm -hmm. but I was still six minutes down on the leader with only a 10k run to do now, albeit it was a very hilly, challenging 10K, so, you know, an hour of running. Yeah. And uh, long story short, I progressed up and I caught leader with about half a mile to go. Wow. And it was life-changing in terms of what that said to me about getting up and committing no matter what. Yeah. 
And yeah, and I think that that just really changed everything moving forward. Is that something actually that that is, I mean, resilience is obviously a big thing and being able to do that yourself. Um, is that something that can be taught? Is it something that you have? I mean, you have a certain amount of that, I'm sure that's innate anyway, but can it can can resilience be taught? Yes, 100%. And I think it's about understanding what you're trying to build resilience for mm -hmm. and where your weaknesses are and having, again, self-awareness about that. So what we teach our athletes are, you know, what are you most fearful, fearful of? Mm -hmm. And setting challenges in their training program and racing program, they're going to gradually expose them to those fears and see that they can overcome them. So, for example... Um, one of the biggest things that I would do as a youngster would be um, as the pressure got more in terms of, you know, Leslie can rock up to any race and win it, yeah. uh, like a local race, say, I yeah. would, what I would do is I would go out and train really hard, either the day before or the morning of that race to put myself in a position of weakness to really challenge and confront what mm. would happen if someone would pass me, yeah. what I would do, how I would commit. And, you know, so setting up little exercises like that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we rate it on a scale of one to 10, you know, 10 being it's impossible that I can achieve this. Yeah. And, you know, one being, oh, God, it's a piece of cake. Yeah. And, and really, you know, seeing each session and each race on that scale and making sure you have enough of the, the, the twos and threes to build confidence mm -hmm. and enough of the seven, eight, nines to really build that resilience. But interestingly and this is something that again changed in myself was um my husband told me this about the the how the brain operates and parts of your brain that are utilized yeah. uh, to build resiliency and there's a part of your brain called the anterior cingulate cortex which mm -hmm. sits right in be behind the eyes and it's like the shape of a sausage and what happens is is that uh, processes emotional and physical pain and when you've dealt with that or dealt with emotional and physical pain it actually grows and gets more dense so yeah. that you can cope with more the next time forward and so all of a sudden to see this thing is almost like a muscle like your bicep or your quad where yeah. if I work it it gets bigger so it's stronger for the next time I go out that kind of was quite profound for me so all of a sudden on a bad day of training I'd be like do you know what? That's a good day of training because it's made me face adversity and get stronger because of it. Yeah. There's always something positive that would come out of it. Wow. Well, and that's, that's interesting because there are a lot of people who would say that people who've gone through very difficult things early in life, that, that may explain some of kind of why they do have a resilience yeah. level that's different, right? There was actually a study done on cyclists, top, top cyclists, the real top yeah. of the top. And they measured their ACCs and the real top cyclists had denser ACCs and a higher likelihood of, of trauma in their, in their backgrounds. Wow. Wow. So, really interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, well, I guess that's why people should get your book, first of all. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, so before we will give people kind of that information, if um, if you're just because there will be a lot of people who are listening that um, that they may be athletes, but we have a lot of people that are entrepreneurs that are um, just kind of in a whole bunch of different walks of life. 
that are thinking about, um, you know, I, I don't feel re very resilient. I, I, I want to kind of get better at that. Um, I know you mentioned a couple of things there, but are, are there a couple of very specific things you think, you know, if, if they were to, to try to build that a little bit in their own lives, are there a couple of things that you would suggest that they could Definitely. do? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's understanding what you feel uncomfortable with, what your mm -hmm. fears are, and writing that down, really being aware of that. Uh, where, where, is, where is your boundary for uncomfortableness? And then setting some goals about pushing those boundaries um, and making them incremental. Don't start off with something extreme first. Mm -hmm. Build momentum. We know that our brains love momentum, almost like ticking off a box on a list. What it does is it gives us a hit of dopamine and dopamine actually provides uh, the pathway for motivation. So once we get that little spurt of dopamine, it motivates us to then do the next thing. So I think being aware of your fears, being aware of your boundaries, and then setting some goals up to challenge those. And writing them down is a very sort of a visual way of knowing how you're achieving that. And that will, you can tick that box off, that will motivate you uh, to challenge moving forward. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. And I, I do think, um, you know, that, uh, uh, we spend a lot of time talking to people who who have been successful in in areas like yours or in other areas, and and they they almost to a, you know to each person say that having some type of written goal, some type of way of being able to measure yourself against it, um, you know, is is a key to their their success as well. So, um, uh, you know, if people are are looking at, I, I mean, I'm sure they've got a small taste of it now, but I'm I'm sure we'll want to um, be able to look into more about what you're doing just generally, but also um, you know your book and and um, possibly kind of take a look at at um, coaching with you. What what are some of the best ways to do that, Leslie, to, to find out more? Yeah, so check us out on our website. It's www.braveheartcoach.com, mm -hmm. uh, and you'll see our book link there as well as you can connect to us through email. We love to respond to emails. You know, often I'll just hop on a call with people if you have questions. Um, we have what's called a little smog test on there where you fill it out and I'll just call you up and chat through any of the issues you, that you've had. Mm -hmm. uh, also this year, we have our first film coming out on Netflix, which is really exciting. Wow, awesome. um, so yeah, it's uh, based on the famous novel, the German novel, All Quiet on the Western Front. Mm -hmm. So we had the rights to that novel adapted uh, the new screenplay. So I'm the writer and executive producer of that. And it comes out on Netflix uh, in October. So we're going to have a theatrical release first and then it will come out. Uh, yeah. It's not too far away. That's that's wow. fairly soon. Wow. That's got to be exciting. It is. It is indeed. Yeah. Lots, lots going on here. That's for sure. Great. Well, what we'll do is we'll put all of that in the show notes as well. So if they didn't get that right away, they will have kind of the, the direct links to be able to get through and, and um, uh, follow what's happening uh, with that over the next little while. And also, I, I think connecting on, on coaching and, and uh, um, pick up a copy of your book as well, because I noticed it's on Audible. It's kind of all over the place. So, um, yep. so let's make sure that, uh, that people see that because it, it sounds like there's some really great stuff in there as well. So, um, you know, again, I know things have been quite busy. So, uh, uh, really appreciate you taking the time with us today, Leslie. It's been it's been great. Yeah, great. and no problem at all. And to everybody else, um, we will talk again soon on Big Idea, Big Moves. Thanks for listening to the Big Idea, Big Moves podcast. Be sure to drop us a comment on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at Big Idea underscore Big Moves. We love to hear your feedback. 
Till next time, remember, big change comes from small, consistent actions.